When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 251 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am again joined by Frances Tomas. Frances, we've got our international break going. I thought that we looked nice and refreshed, but now looking here, uh, at least on the video version, neither of us really look nice or refreshed. Oh, the international break is the best thing that's ever happened to the history of humanity, and I'm so excited watching all the 27 million matches um, that we've got nothing to play for. This is great. Best time of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think th- this isn't Barcelona related, but the the U23 Americans missed the Olympics again for the third time in a row. So that's almost two decades of missing the Olympics. Not so great. And it's it's a it's a smaller competition, but still disappointing from that. end. so I, I think actually I'm excited to go back and talking about FC Barcelona, where uh, you can't miss a competition <laughs> every three to four years. So uh, disappointed on that. But today, fortunately, we've got some La Ronda questions. So let's get into it, right? Yeah, that's much more exciting. Let's do that. All right. Well, let me completely flip it on you because we're not going to start with any good and exciting questions. We're actually going to start with a pretty dour and disappointing. <laughs> you, li- you lied to me, Dan. I know. I you did. You just told me. I did. I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, we're talking about Ansu Fadi's injury because I've been saying a lot this season so far, Frances, that one of the 
positive answers to a lot of Barca's quest, still unfulfilled questions. It's not Felipe Coutinho, believe it or not, but it is Ansu Fati, that if there's another goal scorer that seems to be missing in the attack, if there's another player to be playing, whether it's in that 3-4-3, whether it's in a 3-5-2, there's a player that has versatility playing off the left wing, and then also with some ability to play in the box and be a presence in there. So those question marks seem to all be able to be answered by Ansu Fati. That would be the the... Or you'd hope that the likelihood of him returning and being able to answer those questions would be high. However, this season, we've also said that I don't want to see him again this year. And it looks like it's not that I got my wish, because obviously that wasn't what I wanted. But it is what's going to be happening. Uh, it seems like that meniscus injury that he, he suffered all the way back in the fall is just not healing. So the first question we have from Motaha Ali, what will be Fatih's best position moving forward? This is a you know a bigger referendum, but uh, this meniscus injury will make it difficult for him to play on the wing. So we should, should we focus on converting him into a number nine to help prolong his career and avoid flare-ups? Well, I'm no doctor. Uh, I've got no idea what's going on behind the scenes because the information that we get is always really, really limited. And when it's a, either a superstar or a young player like that, uh, and you can argue that Ansofati is on the way to be in both, bars are really, really secretive. So we don't really know what's going on. What we do know is that he's not making much progress and that he's certainly not playing now. So as to what the best option is moving forward, I would say a conservative a solution to me, especially when you're going to have nine or ten months away from the pitches, then seems to be a right decision, especially given his given his age. But I think that we just need to trust the club doctors to do the to do the right thing and hopefully get it right this time round. Um, as to what the team is missing when when Ansu is not there, well, it's obvious that is his freshness, his speed, his uh, irreverence, and also his at the same time. His understanding of the system, um, his association, the way that he was an impact player, and also, you know, already at his young age, the amount of goals that he was scoring. Uh, but as you said last week, most important thing is that we've got a fully recovered Ansu as soon as possible. But as soon as possible, meaning as soon as he's fully recovered, which could be next September. We'll see. Right. And I've also mentioned, too, that the question of when to move him to that I guess, striker position or center forward position, I would hope that that wouldn't have to happen until he's 22, 23, just for his development, just for physically. He's still going to be 18 years old, even though his knee is going to be, unfortunately, a bit older than that now in terms of his career. But yeah, it's going to be the third surgery on his meniscus. So it is being, it is a bit worrying. So the, the thing we do know at, at present time is that apparently the best info is said that the next 15 days or so will be about testing how that knee is holding up and whether he has to go under the knife again, again, for a third surgery. And that is courtio, uh, courtesy of Cat Radio. So that I, I think for all the sources, it's one of the more um, most reliable ones too. But this surgery then would be about removing part of or partially or uh, potentially a large part of the meniscus so he would not be that same player and that is something that has a habit of cutting careers shorter than they should be down the line so we're talking eight ten years so he may only play till he's 29 years old or 30 years old and i even said at 18 when he was playing at 16 or 17 that was worrying and uh it's it, it is sad to see that there's this prophecy that seemed to have come come through but i, I do want to actually point out too if you could go into uh Frances, if you could go into this a little farther that about the information that is released by the club because it's not just barcelona if you think about barcelona the question marks around their players uh this is a a, a world football or soccer even here like this is more of a football thing where here in the u.s whether it's um nba basketball or whether it's football a lot of the times their agents agents usually leak the severity of injuries because 
there are incentives on even the back end of that where they have protection in their contracts. But I, I, whether it's my, my question would be whether it's release clauses making that um, something or the fact that in, in football, it's a little easier actually to cut certain players loose. If you if they get injured and you kind of almost punish players who have a long term injury and you can kind of just void their contracts for, for a number of reasons. So it's interesting to me just the comparison between um, here in the NBA again that, you know, I follow pretty closely and same even with the NFL. I don't really follow too much. But I mean, if a guy breaks a toenail, you hear about it. if a guy breaks a fingernail, he has a long cuticle here. You, you see 100 tweets about it and, you know, so many different sources. But over there, I mean. He, uh, I know Goal.com isn't completely right on these things, but he was voted, you know, their next gen number one player. He's considered one of the top. He really is considered probably the top teenager in the world, and and, and yet we don't even know how severe this injury is. We just hear little little things about how it could be getting worse. Yeah, but the thing is, this is always the same. This is not new. This is not because Anso is special or more special than anybody else. Yeah, this is how injuries are always treated at Barca. Um, I think that. To my knowledge, at least, there isn't any secret clause or there's any benefit to any agent or anything of the sort to not releasing the information. I think it's more about protecting the player from having his business aired in the world's media, which obviously comes with the contract and comes with playing at Barca, a team like... But do you you think it's all... Do you think think that's throughout all teams, though? I mean, because my understanding is that generally that's how it is in the sport, not just Barcelona even. To my understanding, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, the, the team that I follow the closest is Barca, but obviously I follow all of La Liga, Primera and Segunda División. And whenever there's long-term injuries, you do see it, but obviously it doesn't seem to be the way because to my understanding, and again, I'm no doctor, this wasn't a long-term injury. This was just an injury right. that was significantly longer than a minor injury, if that makes any sense, that has secretly, God knows why, being prolonged to at least three times longer than it should have been. So that's why I think that just doing it for the player's privacy and to make sure that his mental well-being, et cetera, et cetera, is being preserved. But I don't really know. Yeah, and Vishroot had asked, how difficult is a professional footballer to maintain his career at the top after being on the sidelines for the whole season, the likes of which Fatih had? And some of the examples that came up, I thought of Michael Owen and his hamstring injury. He was obviously a superstar for Liverpool and, and England. And then all of a sudden he has a hamstring injury at 18 and he winds up just never being the same player ever again. He's, he was still a really good player whose career ended probably sooner than it needed anyway. Then the other big example is Brazilian Ronaldo that we saw the best of him at 20 years old at FC Barcelona. And then he was just never the same thing ever again. And, and so, no, but at the same time with Ronaldo, um, Owen to a lesser degree, but with Ronaldo, he had to reinvent himself as a pure number nine, right? A more static number nine, a more, not as electric, not as capable of running into spaces. And basically, Ronaldo would just bamboozle you. You know, he would just like a, like a zooming rocket past you. Um, I had the privilege of watching him, actually, in his one year at the Camp Nou, because my player, my, my player, my brother was playing for Barca on that same year. So we had tickets um, and a player's card to get into the Camp Nou every single time, him and me. Uh, we're still very young, but it was just mind-blowing. And to me... I've never seen anything like it. And unfortunately, he left Barca and then he got injured after. I still don't wish him any, any you know, long-term damage like he obviously suffered. Um, but, you know, he wasn't playing for us, so it wasn't as bad. But I still suffer for the player because he's a player. But at the same time, he reinvented himself and he become, became a very um, static 
striker, but also one that was very powerful, much stronger than before. And, you know, that guy, I think he could still be scoring goals if he was playing age 97. So, unfortunately, he went to Madrid as well. But, yeah, I, I tend to just give the good times. And when he was playing for us, he was fantastic. Yeah, and I actually see Fati. I mean, their games are different, obviously. Fati's is a bit more already based on his power. I mean, you see the presence that he is in the box. That's something that Ronaldo wasn't... Uh, Ronaldo was uh, much more excited to dribble himself into the box or get himself into the box as opposed to Fati, who's more willing already to be able to finish on those uh, near post runs in particular. He gets to the penalty spot and then he basically makes his move from there. So Fati's game is already a little bit different. So my hope would actually be that if... If, it, if this is something that it has to change his career trajectory and he can't do as much one-on-one -on, -one on the wing that he used uh, that he used to. But even then, uh, he isn't really a Dembele get-to-the-touchline, if you will, kind of player where he's just a out-and-out uh, -out speedy winger. Um, Fati mm -hmm. has much more... He has a few more tricks up his sleeve. He has much more of an ability to combine and, and then try to play in behind. And he also isn't really a hold-up player either. So he's not necessarily, yeah. at this point in his career, a, a number nine in that way. And that is something, as you mentioned, it. Brazilian Ronaldo had to add that hold-up play to his game. And that is something that Fati might have to uh, evolve on. But I think that was going to happen anyway, right? So I'm not mm -hmm. sure in his career trajectory the play that he will be or was going to be. Um, that might just accelerate that by a year or two and then cut. The whole thing is what is going to cut off on the backside? That is what the meniscus yeah. injuries, that's what these kind of injuries at 18 do. And the other worry would be that he already was showing the potential of being one of the best in the world. And so missing an entire year of your development at 18, it's a lot of, you know, we've spoken about this before for, for the academy. That's what happens a lot of times to these players where they miss when they're, when they're 17 or 18 before we hear of them. They get these ACL injuries and then they never wind up being the player they were projected to be. And Fati, believe it or not, would still be playing with the Juvenile Oz this season if not for him being a miraculous first-team player at 16. He would still be with the under-19s. I just cannot wait to see him back when he's fully recovered. And then we'll have to assess and see what he can do on the pitch and how he changes. Here again to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and the e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so go get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Ask join. Well, unfortunately, Barcelona is going to have to go forward in the Liga and try to win the double without him. And then Ellie asked us, so we're switching gears here a little bit, talking about now about La Liga and the race to the, the two trophies. It might be a dangerous thing to predict, of course, but can you plan out the rest of the games we have remaining this season? Your expectation of whether we win, lose, or draw. Ellie, you know we weren't going to do that, um, including the Copa <laughs> Final. Uh, and then you would caveat with form changes and injuries, of course. Now, I'm going to switch this up a little bit, and I'm going to read out to you the all the games that Barca have left and all the games that Atletico have left. And I actually want to know from you, Frances, who do you think has the easier road? And what are some of the pitfalls you see along the way? Now, obviously, we know that Barca play Real Madrid and Atletico, so that almost doesn't count here. But Barcelona, the, the, the rest of the way here, they have via the lead, Real Madrid, the Copa final against Athletic Club, Hadafe, Villarreal, Granada, Valencia, Atletico, Levante, Celta, and Eibar. Atletico, meanwhile... That's- that's, that's tough. quite a road. Yeah, it's not that's easy. That's quite a road. Right. No. Athletic, not too easy for Atletico either. They have Sevilla, Betis, Huesca, Athletic Club, Abar, Elche, Barca, Real Sociedad, Osasuna, and Valladolid. So to me, my initial impression is that Atletico Madrid's road is a little bit easier, but they're also mm-hmm. less in form and have, they seem to be losing their steam in a way that Barca are not. So is that difference of schedules enough for Barca's form to get them over the line? That would be the question. Right. Um, I think that, as you already hinted with the question at the beginning, it all comes down to the two games against Real and Atletico. I think if Barca can win those two, then obviously it's not just that you're adding three, you're taking away three from the from the opponents. So I think that that's going to be the key. I mean, the, the matches that you've seen, obviously, um, it depends on whether they're home and away. I think that obviously without having the, the fans in the stadium, that difference is a little bit blurred, but it still does matter. Um, but, you know, I do think that Valencia, Villarreal, Getafe, even Granada, they're difficult opponents, um, especially if those are away from home or they are, because I don't really know when they're being played, or whether they're following, you know, a three-week, three-day break or a whole week's rest. So that really does depend. But I think that, Seeing how our players are performing in international break, I think it's pretty, like, I think seven or eight 
of our players have scored already in international break. I think that you can say that Barca are on form. I think that full credit has to go to the coaching staff, not just Kuman, but the coaching staff and the players themselves, to be honest, but having bought into it. And it's got to do with the preparation in terms of physicality that they've done. Um, normally, we get to this time of the year and the international break is a huge inconvenience, which obviously was for us this time as well, because the players had that momentum going. But actually, they kept it going with the national teams. And to be honest, they're probably going to come back. Um, I don't want to call for bad weather, but not injured. Hopefully, no more injuries happening. And um, they come back even with a higher morale boost than they had leaving us. And that's really, really important. Atletico Madrid, they're not a club that I used to lead in La Liga from beginning to end. I mean, to my memory, every time that Atletico has won the league, which has not really happened too often, it's been them sort of overleaping the, 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 the leader at the time in the last three, four matches. Um, but holding on to a lead that was that large, let's not forget, for so long, Atletico are not normally prepared to do that. That's not to say they won't be able to do it this time. I mean, go back three weeks, I was convinced they would. But the decline seems to be very beneficial for Barca, obviously, but seems to be quite worrying for them. And also, you know, I think Luis Suarez is the, the player that was impressing in the first half of the season. And he himself is declining and he's not the only one. So we'll see. I mean, the one that we haven't mentioned at all is Real Madrid. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, you can never count them out. And uh, I think they are sort of counting the chickens as well as to yeah. what, what matches they've got until the end. But I wouldn't count them out either. And I have been positive about the amount of international break matches I've watched with Barca players in them, and they seem to be in great form. I mean, Jordi Alba and Pedri and Busquets will arguably be the three best players for Spain against Georgia. Yeah, it had to be a comeback victory, but Pedri was... I thought Pedri was awesome in that game, just like he is for mm -hmm. Barca. Busquets was very good in that game, and Alba was the best player on the field, believe it or not, yeah. from left back. He was controlling the game from left back as much Can as I Barca. Can jump in there? As much as Spain. One second, just yeah. to say that Pedri playing the whole game in his second game for Spain, that's incredible. Yeah. At his age, yeah. that's unheard of. I don't even think that Andres Iniesta did that. That's that's just, you know, hats off to him. What What a year he's having. Yeah, yeah, and right. It's as 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 negative as we've been about talking about Fati. He is the 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 big thing, and yet here's Pedri, always always right behind, always. You know, there is something even that, even that, even the way that we're we always talk about the other prospect first, and then we talk about Pedri. That is as Iniesta as it can get, because right, he's always right behind Messi and Xavi, and yet. And yes, as a top 10 midfielder of all time. <laughs> and that was always the thing. And Pedri is already in that same way where he doesn't say much. He always has the same disposition, whether he's playing as an 18-year-old for Spain or, or, right, or playing El Clasico, it's the same face. But yeah, I mean, Pedri is incredible. And even Sergino Des, if you saw last week, he, he had Galazzo himself. He's, and he's playing left back as well for the U.S. He just says, hey, picks up the ball and there he goes. And yes, it was against a, a you know a, a makeshift Jamaica side, but still, I mean, it was a it was a Galazzo. He a perfect hesitation on the goal, and he let it fly. And I should mention too, Griezmann, Dembele, they're scoring too. And even even Lord Brothwaite uh, had a, had had one of his uh, his goals for Denmark. So yeah, you're right, absolutely scoring inside and out. So Barca, I think, are continuing their form. And the only thing in retort to the Atletico Madrid would be uh, because the South American qualifiers were were um, canceled this time around. The good news for Barca is that Messi will probably be a little more rested than he usually is. 
the other thing for Atletico would be that Luis Suarez is going to have his longest break since the summertime. So he can sit around and, and recoup some of the strength. And for Messi, you never want him to sit for more than an, an hour because he'll, <laughs> he'll not that he'll run out of form, but Messi he always... gets cranky, that's not mean. <laughs> so I'm hoping that Real Valladolid gets all that cranky Benabenergy that <laughs> Messi has coming, coming back yeah. from the break and some spills over to El Clasico. But yeah, let's, let's, let's push on. Let's continue forward talking about transfers now. Steven has a question. Coleman has proven a lot of us wrong. But should the sporting director tell him what players he can have as opposed to the transfer specific players he wants? And you and I have, t- have talked about what would we do if we were sporting directors in this situation? Right. Um, I think that a sporting director, in a club that works properly, the sporting director decides the signings. Um, I think that in a club that works properly, there is money to spend within reason. And I also think that in a, in a club that's run properly, you let the players that are here that you don't really want to keep out before you sign anybody. Um, now, this is Barca. <laughs> Hasn't always been run the right way. Um, obviously, now at least we've got a precedent now that has been voted by the sources, so that, that's a good sign. Um, we've got a precedent that was successful last time round. That's another positive plus uh, to, to consider. But we also have a manager that, as you said, has callado muchas bocas. He's shut a lot of people up with the performances that his players have put on the team and not just that also the way in which these performances have come and also the upwards trajectory that we've had pretty much all season or at least since october november which is which is great so and also take into account that we didn't sign any players for this coach last year at all because there was no money so if his petition his petition is to sign memphis the pie on a free i don't have a problem with that on a free if he's if he wants to say, sign Wijnaldum on a free, if the wages allow it, I don't really have a problem with that. And if he and I think this is more from the sporting director than from himself, but if Eric Garcia can come on a free Spanish international, young, already knows La Casa, already knows the, the, the La Masia systems and the Barca systems, I don't have a problem. I mean, signing players on a free, I don't think it's a problem at all. But I think that ultimately everything absolutely everything like it has done for the last 15 years depends on Messi so if Messi decides to stay then he's and I don't really have the exact number but let's just say it's around 100 million euros in wages that he gets every year well those were going to have to go to him if that money is available then you could get inventive and actually go and try and sign someone like Haaland or Mbappe even uh, you know with that amount of money if you sort of take Messi's wages for two, three years and you invest it on, on a big superstar, you may be able to do it. So, But obviously, it requires someone like Laporta to be able to do that. But then again, we've got Laporta at front, so we'll see what happens. But long story cut short, I think that Messi's decision has to be the, the stepping stone for everything else. And once we know that, everything will fall into pieces. But as we say in Spanish, a caballo regalado no le mires el dentado, which in English is a little bit like if they, if you get a free horse, don't start looking at the horse's teeth because it's free. So that's that. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of Holland and Mbappe, we got some we got some questions related to those two. <laughs> I thought I thought you were gonna see. I thought you were gonna say while we're talking about horses, here's my teeth. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, uh, no. I, I went through the braces before. We might have to get those again. But uh, now I got now, now you got to now you got us all uh, 
Now you got us thinking about ourselves. But anyway, so here's one from Tom. Uh, he said it's a fun one. Barca have the money for Holland or Mbappe in imaginary world. So yeah, we're going to an imaginary world where Barca could afford Holland or Mbappe. Which do you choose and why? I sign Neymar's sister. Oh, stop it. Always. No, can't do that. Just no, no, no. Edit that bit. Edit no. that bit out. Edit no, bit. well, I, this comes from actually an intellectual place. I think this comes from the place that Mbappe and Dembele play quite well together for France. So yeah. that, that comes from that idea. And also the pushback that I've heard a million times before that Vilmos actually asked a question. He goes, I know Dan's answer because of the YouTube video I made. So thanks you for that. Everyone can go over and watch that. But I wonder what Frances thinks about Holland, whether a striker of his profile would fit into our system. So really, I think both questions are asking the same thing. That Do you think Mbappe yeah. is a better fit in our uh, and by our system, I mean, quote unquote, the Barca way, which again, I use with huge air quotes there. So do you think Holland or Mbappe fit better? I think it depends on whether the player that's coming is great or not. I think great players that are willing to work and adapt always fit in the Barca system. You know, I think that the clearest and, you know, some people may disagree with this, but I think that Holland is closer to Ibrahimovic than any of the other strikers we've ever had um, in terms of size, in terms of game, in terms of um, even attitude, you know. So I don't really know if Haaland will be able or willing to adapt to the Barca way. I think that at the age that he is, he probably should be, to be honest. Yeah. And with Mbappé, you get, it's, he's a total player, you know, like he is fast, he is irreverent, he is very, very experienced already. He's a World Cup winner and he wasn't just watching from the bench like Brazilian Ronaldo did the first time round, you know. He was a key protagonist and uh, he's been playing at top, top, top European level for several seasons now. Obviously, getting into the final last year with PSG, um, playing alongside Neymar, which obviously that's always going to help you. Um, so I think that both players will be great. I mean, if you push me to sign one, and, you know, they've both been photographed with the Real Madrid top, haven't they? So, you know, it, it's hard to say, but I would say uh, for me, Mbappe is the better choice for the Barca system, given the players we already have here. But obviously, you also need to think that Messi, you know, in one, two, three years will be gone. We don't really know when. Um, I think, it, you know, five months ago, it was clear he was going this summer. But now we're not that sure anymore. But even... Whoever you sign out of the two in this hypothetical world will have to lead Barca, quote unquote, by themselves soon enough. And I think Mbappe is more of a franchise player, but obviously I wouldn't be complaining if Haaland came because he would be an improvement as well on what we have right now. Yeah, I mean, actually, for the attitude point, Mbappe, just having watched him game in and game out, and uh, I think he... He's a player that can be emotionally disinterested sometimes. He does have a little bit of a more of an attitude actually than in the locker room than Holland does. Holland seems actually be more. Um, he just had this like, youthful exuberance at, uh, about him. Um, but because he plays in the Bundesliga, he, it also gives a little uh, the German marketing to it, which is makes him very robotic and and, and very full of that. But uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I don't think there's a wrong choice there. I think there's the two top strikers in the world. I, I think they're the two you know next big guys up. I just think Mbappe and uh, going back all the way to Fati that there's some redundancy there, and I think they don't really Barca don't need Mbappe with Fati if he would be healthy, and Holland just does different things for you as a prototypical number nine. In that Mbappe, I mean, he's basically been a left winger this year. So they're actually, I actually mm. think they're not like for like comparisons anymore because Mbappe no. is playing in Fati's position. But yeah, on the point of Holland, uh, yeah, go ahead before we move on. No, just to say that we don't really know the answer Fati that we will get back, unfortunately. True. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. And then 
how that would impact a potential uh, new arrival, we don't know. Yep, 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 yep. Pancho asks, should Barca buy a young striker from a smaller league and hope no one buys Holland, which uh, probably Man City will, to pay his low buyout clause next summer, which is, and by low, they mean he means 75 million euros, which is not low, but oh. it is it is, it is is for a, a generational talent like him, so 75 million. That change. Right, right. So 75 million is what that kind of player at his minimum is going to cost on a release clause, so... No. Is there other options, though, like Malin from PSV, who's also a Viola client, JJ Macias from Guadalajara in Mexico, who is a speedy yet strong center forward? You know, I have a full list here. I have, uh, there's Macias, there's Malin, there's Darwin Nunez, who plays in Portugal. There's the other Luis Suarez, who plays for Granada. That would be another mm-hmm. option, I'd say, to be a, he's, he's pretty good. I would say he's a cheap option. He's 23, I think. Um, Alexander Isak is one we always see in the Facebook group from Real Sociedad. I think he's got a lot of talent, too. You, I don't think they would go wrong. It's, it's all, those are players that it depends on the right price. Mirren Boada from AZ Alkmaar is another player. Again, these are just players that are, they're not the generational talent, but I, do Barca with Fati and Dembele um, and potentially Messi for two or three years, do they truly need a, you know, do they need that guy? These are the questions. So the other, the last name I want to throw out, then I will let you respond. There's a guy playing for Braga right now named Alvaro Ruiz. Right? He is just 21 years old. He has 10 goals and 5 assists in 29 appearances. So I actually want to say on Alvaro Ruiz, I am surprised that he has hit the ground running as well as he has in Portugal. It really looked like he was always the guy. Even for the Spanish, like especially the youth international tournaments, it was him. Mm-hmm. It was Sergio Gomez, who we know when he went to Dortmund, he's been on loan at, uh, at Huesca now. And he yeah. seems to have fallen off a bit, right? And then Mateo More, um, or Mateo uh, Kwame, whichever one you want to call it, the right back who's now at Dortmund, he looks like he's kind of gotten his, he's been finally healthy for the first time in three or four years since he was 15, 16 years old. And he seems to have ready to ship, ship a bit too. But Alvaro Ruiz of that, of that crew, who were supposed to be the next big guys before, you know, Fatih and them all broke through, uh, Alvaro Ruiz, I figured that as a goal scorer, you know, he'd kind of fallen off. He never really scored with Barca B. He wasn't really finding himself in the third division, and I thought that you know he was nothing going to be nothing more than a than a you know an auxiliary piece. And yet you look at him for Braga, and he's starting to he's only starting about forty percent of their matches, but he's starting to kind of become the guy at twenty one. You're starting to see it. He comes on, he bangs in goals at a good rate, and I think that would be a useful player who uh, I think Barca have some kind of buyback for ten to fifteen million euros. And I mean it's a shot in the dark, but. It's a player that's supposed to know the system, and if he's putting in goals off the bench at in Braga, you know it was. I mean, maybe Trincao can help him out on what it's like to go from Braga to, to Barcelona. For sure, for sure. Um, for me, I'm very happy that Abel Ruiz is doing doing well. It's always great to see former La Masia graduates or La Masia products doing well in other clubs, even though you know they may never come back to Barca. It's always great to see them doing well. Um, as for the question, I think that you know if you want to sign. Uh, a striker that is not your top, top, top world-class one. You just go for Memphis Depay, who is free. And if he wants to come to mm-hmm. us and we can meet his wages demands, that's that's your one. You don't really have to go spending 30, 40 million on someone who doesn't really improve. Because um, let's not forget, people are talking, because I think it's because he's free. Yeah, he's, he's finished his contract. They're talking about Memphis Depay as, as if the guy couldn't play football at all. You know, this is a Dutch international who is experienced, he's, I think he's 26, 27 years old now. He knows our coach already. He was a starter for the for Holland while Ronald Koeman was coaching him. Obviously, there's a relationship there already. And if Koeman is going to stay, then obviously may as well give him the players he wants. 
And also, this is someone who is scoring for fun in the French League, which, you know, PSG were very quick to remind us it's not a farmer's league anymore. Uh, I think, um, let's just leave it at that. Let's leave it at that, because uh, I don't want to go back into what PSG did to us recently. But yeah. hey, are we, are we back? It sounds like we're is... it sounds like we're both backing Lille in the in the uh, league on race. So yeah, <laughs> go Lille in this. I, <laughs> I'll root against PSG. PSG. I can do it. It's it's just no, no, no. As long as PSG lose, I don't care. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. It's not even a rivalry. See, I just don't really like them very much because right. they've got so much money. Yeah, yeah. and right they point. have you know they they went very nice to us in the past in many different ways. Not that they had to, obviously. But um, yeah, I don't really feel a rivalry. Uh, I think we had more of a rivalry with Chelsea back in the day, like 10 years yeah. ago, than we've got with these guys. I think it's called quite prefabricated, to be honest. Well, in, in no, the other, I mean, well, I guess what I'm saying is in the other title races, I always root for the underdog. Like, I, I'm, I'm excited to see Juventus not win Serie A. I'm excited to see another team other than PSG win Liga. I, I think parity in some of those leagues at the top can be good, except in Spain, where I hope Barcelona continue to win the league, league, uh, La Liga. So that's the only well, exception. I'm with you. Anyway, that's I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. So I think Memphis Depay on a free is the best choice, unless you can somehow find the cash to go for Mbappé or, or Haaland, maybe. I actually want to bring up to another free transfer in, in Eric Garcia because I watched him with Spain once again under Luis Enrique playing next to Busquets and and directly next to Alba and Pedri. And I, I just want to push back on this point that you can tell that Man City fans all over the internet are pushing back that Garcia is a good player because he's only played three matches or something this season for Man City. Uh, he's been on the outs and I think they're a little upset that he's leaving. And I, I definitely want to say that the player that I see for Spain if that's the one that we're seeing for Barcelona, I don't care about the one or two matches you've seen for him with Man City. The player that he's that that you're seeing for Spain is still just 20 years old and still looks like on a free transfer, he'd be a really, really good get. I think he's still one of the more yeah. promising center backs in the world at that age. And so I even push back on the fact that you have all these people saying, oh, but uh, Oscar Mengueza is better than Eric Garcia. But to me, they're actually playing different positions. Oscar Mengueza awesome. is playing in the first team as a right back. And Eric Garcia is playing uh, at left center back even for Spain, and he could play right center back as well. So I, I do push back on the fact that it, w there's no problem in having both of them in the squad. And uh, even no. for me, like they're they're different players as center backs. I mean, just <laughs> I don't mean to get frustrated here, but add some nuance to your thinking when you watch these players. For me, Mingueza's problem uh, or his positives first is that he's so important to build up. He understands where he needs to be on the field. His positional play is so much more advanced than I thought it was, especially when he can get forward and he's combining in like like an academy uh, product would be. The issues where he has is in defending one-on-one, -on -one, which is something you see a lot with, with, young, with young players, especially guys who are trained as center backs and switch out to the wings. So he does commit that he basically has one foul every match where he gets beat for pace by a speedy winger and he has to commit some kind of tactical foul. And so there are things to Mingaitha's game that I hope that he improves, including on corner kicks and set pieces, not even offensively, but defensively. He winds up being out of place a, a bit. Now, Eric Garcia... For, for his for his money in the middle of the field, his passing is superb for a center back. His positional sense is really, really good. However, he doesn't really have that, that breakneck space. I mean, uh, breakneck pace. So he can be caught if he's in the wrong position 1v1. The difference is that he's able to come forward as a center back very much how we're seeing, you know, Langley's been put on less island since Barca played that 3-5-2. And Eric Garcia is a similar way where you don't really want to put him on an island 1v1, but I think he's a good option. And I, I even throw Jorge Cuenca, who's playing with the U21s of Spain, 
that's another center back that Barca have an option of returning to the club. He's playing at Ameria, and he's been really good this season too. So you have three different center backs in Mingueza, in Garcia, in Cuenca, who are all options to um, be positive players for Barcelona moving forward. Right. To me, it's not too complicated. Um, I think that the major differential for a player to be at Barca is whether they're good enough to be at Barca. And to me, that's it. I know it's very simplistic, but that's it. I would much rather have Eric Garcia, Araujo, and Mingueza in the first team being ready to play than having two of them because one of them cannot be signed because they're not compatible with whatever. You know, this is, uh, if Barca are going to be successful, which hopefully we will be soon, uh, maybe not next, this season, we'll see, but certainly in the coming years, then you need to have as many strong players as you can have. And also throughout a season, there's a lot of injuries, um, unfortunately, but that's the nature of the game. And having three young centre-backs that are all different, but actually know how to play roughly in the same position, roughly in the same way with the differences, that's, that's a positive. I mean, it is like the perennial argument between Pedri and Ilash and Ricky. I mean, I'd rather have three players that can do the job yeah. than two. That's it. Yep. It's very simple. To me, it's simple numbers. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything more to add. Yeah, just add the good players. <laughs> They'll figure yeah. it out and bring them in competition. Yeah. But... And the thing with that, Dan, is just if they were incredibly expensive and your wage bill just couldn't survive because you're paying Ilash Moriva some money, then, you know, you can you can start digging and you can start making decisions and you can say, you know, either this one or the other. It's like we were saying the other day about Pjanic staying. Well, Pjanic, in my eyes, has to go because A, he's not adding anything on the pitch. B, the coach is not letting him because he doesn't trust him. And C, he gets paid a, a considerable amount of money that could go to one of these free transfers that hopefully we will get. And But, you know, having La Masia graduates in their first, second or third year of being promoted, that's not a problem at all. Yeah, I mean, the same thing with, with Garcia, that if Garcia or Cuenca or one of them returns even, Whose spot are they taking? They're taking Samu Titi's spot. <laughs> he makes the second most wages of all the center backs on the on the squad, and he plays what? He's the fifth choice center back or something, right? Behind yep. PK, Lingley, Araujo, and Mingetha. <laughs> so I mean, w- w- that that's the player that you're replacing. And so you, yeah, yep. you're right. Injuries happen, and all of a sudden, uh, all three of those players might be useful next season. Again, PK is 34 years old, and Lingley hasn't looked like he's been completely stable, and Umtiti still exists. And so. You know, and even Araujo's had some early injuries. But let's uh, let's we have two or three more here. Douglas says, "What are your thoughts on the left back situation? Do we stick with Junior Firpo as the backup one more season? Bring Juan Miranda, who's playing really well for Real Betis and was one of Spain U twenty ones, one of their best players and their win as well. Um, or sign someone like Jose Gaia. Um, also, would you bring Everson, which is on the right side, so it's a little more complicated? Would you bring uh, him in the summer or cash out? And Alejandro Balde, I'll throw that name in the left back." I think, Frances, where where you're going to go with this is that left back is rather sorted because of how good Jordi Alba's been right now this season, and the right side is the one where you actually have question marks, and that's where where that's yes. where I have question marks. Yeah, yeah, and also, but as you just said before, Piquet, we need to consider that Jordi Alba is no he's not a yogurin anymore. He's not a little yogurt. No, but he know, is he is three years younger though. He's still only thirty one, so it's it's not like Jordi Alba's yeah. over the hill just yet. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, when you're that age, if you pick an injury, you, I mean, I know because I've been that age already, unfortunately <laughs> for me. When you pick an injury, it takes you longer to recover. So if there is a long-term injury to, or longer-ish injury to Jordi Alba, like, say, Piquet has had this year, 
then there's quite a void behind. But I think that the fact that Sergio Dest can actually play both positions and you still have Sergio Roberto, who can definitely do the job, uh, maybe not at the world-class level that we expect at Barca, but he can certainly do the job. And to be honest, even Sergio Roberto could go as a left-back if needed. So I don't think that there's going to be a huge drop-off in there. So as a result, obviously, knowing that Miranda is progressing is, is great, but then it's up to the, the coaches to decide. I think Kuman is someone who is looking really, really closely at Barca B and speaking to the different managers, Garcia Pimienta and all the others, not just him, as to what players could get promoted. And for what I'm hearing in Catalonia Radio and reading in Sport, Mundo Deportivo and Abui and, you know, um, the article goal, so all the Catalan press, is that Valde is coming. Yeah. And I think that he is the answer moving forward. And, you know, you've got someone at 17, 18 years old that can make the jump to a, let's just say, a lesser role, then then so be it. I mean, I'm not, I haven't mentioned Junior Firpo just yet, and that's what the question was. Um, I think that if he's got any resale value, I don't think the player is awful. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think that if he was trusted week in, week out, he would actually make quite a lot of progress. And I think that he was pretty good at Betis, to be honest. He was good enough to be signed. And uh, he, we haven't seen that growth since he signed for us, but I think he's still got potential. But if, if you could sell him for 20 or 25 million euros, given the current situation, I would bank that and certainly use that money to sign, hopefully, a great striker for us, like we've already discussed today. I, I think Junior has shown, even this season, that at another club that's not FC Barcelona, he could be a starting left back left center back and right center back. Uh, he's actually, and right center back might have arguably been his best position this year uh, in that three at the back. So yeah, I, I think Junior Firpo, you do look at his market value, you do look at it that way. And I think some comment, some combination of, of Juan Miranda being a backup to Jordi Alba can get you over the line. And then the point about Balde that I do want to add there is that unfortunately he started this season with an injury and he had a dislocated so shoulder, what, two, three weeks ago that'll probably keep mm -hmm. him out for the rest of the year. So unfortunately for Balde, I think people are, might have to be a bit more patient. I think he does need a little bit more refining in the third division. But again, he was 17 years old this year. So let's there's no need to rush him if you do have Miranda as a player to back up Jordi Alba for a year or two. And then again, Jordi Alba then is two, three years older than he was now. And, and so I just say be patient. And then the other side really is the question. As you mentioned, Des can play on the left, sure. But you'd love it if Des, I don't know, maybe he was in a winger. If they stick with this 3-5-2, you're talking about Emerson or Sergio Roberto as one of the three center backs. So they're actually competing with Mgeitha as one of the three center backs, and then Des is actually on the wing, as opposed to, so mm -hmm. the question is, if you brought in Emerson, is he your, is he a winger in a 3-5-2? Is he a, uh, the right center back? We've seen at, at Betis, he's actually done both. So that, there's a question mark there. Then same thing with Roberto. Roberto is probably going to play a right center back spot as opposed to playing as a winger. There'd be no reason to play Roberto as a winger. If you're going to do that, just throw him into the midfield, <laughs> you know, and play him as one of those, yeah. the two and the three, with three, five, two, but play him in either the Busquets or, or the Pedri role. So I don't know. I, I think though, Mingetha, Roberto, Emerson, and Dest, I think it's a lot of players for potentially what could be a 4 3 3. If they ever move back, if Barca were to move back to there. So I don't know. It seems like a lot of players in a similar position. And I was even asked and thought about Roberto, where with Roberto, I'm looking at the players that need to be sold this summer. So people calling for Roberto to be sold. I think if the, we'll say the rest of the wages had already been sorted out, maybe. But I mean, he's of the four captains, he's the one who's probably still going to be around the longest. 
he is Catalan, and yeah, you could just make new captains, but there is something about him that seems like he's going to be staying. Now, that doesn't yeah, mean that his role is going to decrease, but you, there's so much other transfer business to do. I think that's the point, that I look and I go, Umtiti, Coutinho, you know, Junior. Mm-hmm. I just, you run down the list of players that will um, are lo- most likely on the likely-to-be-sold list before you start to talk about Sergio Roberto. So that's a lot of business to do in a summer when Barca still don't have the leverage, and so I, I think Roberto will be here next year. Yeah, for sure. And also, this is Barca. You know, this is a team that grows their players. And then when they're professional, if they perform, they stay and they ultimately carry the baton for the next generation. If you've got Busquets retiring, Messi leaving, then someone has to has to carry that through. You know, the, the same way that when Iniesta came into the dressing room, there was Puyol, mm-hmm. then Messi, then Xavi, then... Who, who else is left? I mean, Sergio Roberto's not leaving. I mean, there's nothing in the Catalan press about that. Uh, I think that would be nonsensical to do because Sergio Roberto actually can play in any position. You can put Sergio Roberto anywhere. You can put him as a winger, even though he's probably not your first choice. You can put him as a right back, even though he's probably not your first choice. I've said this time and time again in the podcast. He could be a holy midfielder and he would actually surprise a lot of people with his understanding, his vision and his Let's face it, he's been quite injured this year, obviously, but normally he's quite fit and he covers a lot of ground and he's not shy from a tackle either. So I think Sergio Roberto, is. if you put him at centre-back, he'll do a great job as well. You know, yeah. he's a comodin, he's the joker, he can play anywhere. Uh, but unfortunately, there's always a player that seems to be ahead of him in whatever position. But in a squad of 18 players, arguably 20 players that have to play on a rotational basis to challenge for all titles, you want Sergio Roberto in the team without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, and that unfortunately means that Emerson will probably be sold before he ever arrives at, at the Camp Nou. Just, I just don't know if there's enough room for him there as well. Now, on the point of what to do with other players, we've got two questions here left. Tarab asks, with many youngsters coming to Barca B, do you think Barca should set up an effective loaning system? If yes, which clubs would you ideally loan our players to? So I think this is an imaginary world too. I think Barca have had not a lot of success with loans, but I also look at the uh, caliber of players that they were loaning out, and it never really worked out for certain players. So Sergi Sampei, you could say he had terrible loans, but uh, he's also 26 playing in Japan at this point because of injuries in his career. So Delafeu is the same way, where Delafeu he failed at a lot of different clubs before he finally got himself right at Watford. So sometimes it has to do with the individual player than it does more Barca sending them and where they're sending them. They don't send a lot of players out alone. That's an important point as well. So even Arnau Kamas, who's playing for Barca B, they sent him to Olat, who is a, a club that in the third division that most people wouldn't even have heard of. And yet he yeah, did really well. He did really well there, and now he's returned to Barca B, and he's, you know, he's, he's been okay in the spring, but he was really good in the fall. Though, I, I do want to humor the question, at least, and say, which clubs would ideally, I want Barca players to go to? Well, it'd be players, it'd be teams that want to move the ball, that have a desire to move the ball. So, yeah. Hoffenheim last year in the Bundesliga, not so much this year, but Sassuolo in Italy, they're a team that moves the ball well. Atlanta is another team, and that's some Champions League football for you, but again, competition, you, you want them playing, so you don't want them just riding the bench at these other clubs. I always have to mention that Girona is actually not an option, even though geographically they're so close because the city connection there, there's an incentive for that club to play city group youngsters and not Barca youngsters. So it doesn't really make sense. So Manchu is fortunate because Manchu is there right now and he has pushed his way into their, their midfield, but he doesn't start all the time. And then you could send other players, even Alenya though, he's succeeding at Hadafe because he's good enough to play at Hadafe. 
So he's being used at even a club like Hidafe that's antithetical to the way Barca play. But um, you could even say that if you got a, a if a team like Dortmund wants to take a Barca youngster on, then send them to Dortmund, right? Send them to to to, to clubs that are known about creating about um, nurturing young players. So even a club like Nice, where Barca said Tadebo. Tadebo has finally got a chance at Nice, and he's doing really well, actually. He has been the like, team of the week, like, uh, two or three times already in the last month, at least by one of, like, the stat sites, like, who scored. So Tadebo is actually thriving for the first time ever, well, because he's also playing football for the first time ever, so Nice will end up being a good spot for him, and sometimes it all is about the youngster, individual youngster, and the fit that you find for them. And again, uh, Alenia um, doing well at Hidafe was a little bit of a surprise. So I, I think it's an open-ended question, but yeah, my, my initial response is just, it's it's the clubs that like to move the ball, <laughs> that, that you could yeah. see them actually refine skills that they work through at Barcelona. Yeah, and I think that you may have forgotten Ajax in your in your list. But other than that, I've got nothing else to add on that yeah. one. Just to say that if I was the sporting director at, you mentioned Atalanta, okay? So if I am the sporting director at Atalanta, I'm not getting any low knees. I'm playing my own youngsters. Because ultimately, you know, it's like paying a mortgage in a house. If you can afford the house, you buy it. If you cannot afford the house, you rent it. Francesca, oh, <laughs> so, you're you're really you're really uh you're hitting a you're hitting a chord at that buying a house thing right now. You're, you're just... <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. None of us can buy a house, so there you go. But the thing is, if you can buy the player, then you give the player the time to grow. If you cannot afford the player, then you try and find within your academy if there's a player there that could potentially do the job. If you cannot do either, then you get a loan from Barca, and hopefully play them and then send them back even better. Yep. All right. Last question here. I know you're probably not going to have anything to add. Maybe you will. But we got a question from Eric. I had to do my research on this, Eric. So this is the one that took me the longest. This is the one that took the work. Can you explain how the promotion playoff for Barca B is going to work? And if successful, what division would they be promoted to? Eric, great question. I've been seeing this a lot. So I might even make a video on this if I've got the energy later um, just to really explain this and go through this. All right. Let me try my best. <laughs> So the, the Segunda Division Bay, which is the third division of Spanish football at the moment, that is being split into two. So for anyone who's used to the, U the U.S. system here with MLS, it's the same thing that happened to USL two years ago. So it's going to be split Segunda Division Bay. It's going to be no more. It's going to be the Primera Division and the Segunda Division RFEF. So some teams will still be promoted to the second division, though. They're not ending promotion and relegation. So just there will be some teams promoted to the second division and some will still be relegated to what is now becoming, I, I'd assume, I guess, the fifth division, which is the Tessera division. Okay. Since Barca B, now this is just talking about Barca B, since they finished in the top three of their group, so the normal Segunda Division Bay, for those unfamiliar, it's split into four regional groups, the old Segunda Division Bay. Okay. However, because Barca B finished top three in their regional group, they are now in a mini group of six teams, along with Gymnastique, which won their group, and then Cornea, which finished third, with the top three of another group, that being the one with Ibiza, Acayano, and Villarreal Bay. Okay. So they will play, not Gymnastique or Cornea, Barca B will now play Ibiza, Acayano, and Villarreal Bay three times, so, or twice rather. So they'll play all three of those two times. They've got six more matches this season. If after that, Barca B are one of the top three of those six teams, meaning the two others from their the group, and then the three that they have to play, if they finish top three of those, they're automatically making the Segunda Division A promotion playoffs. So they're automatically they're automatically making the playoffs where you remember last year they lost in the finals to Sabadell, and so Sabadell was promoted to the, the second division, okay? So they will make those playoffs if they finish top three. 
they're currently in fourth in that standing. I want to mention too. So before these these six matches they have to play, they're currently in fourth. So they do have to win some matches. If they do finish fourth, they either need to be the fourth place team with the highest points to reach the playoffs, or they get promoted to this new Primera division, which is the highest level of two new divisions that the Sakuna Division Bay is being broken into. If they fall into the fifth or sixth spots, meaning they finish you know last in, in this mini group, they're still automatically qualifying for the Primera division. So the good news is, no matter what, they will still be in the third tier of Spanish football next year. So it's considered a promotion, even though technically they're at the same level. They're still going to be able to be promoted to the second division, to the, um, you know, the Segunda division. They're still eligible to be promoted to that next season because they're in the level right below, that being the Primera division. Uh, so they, they, I, and to me, I mean, this is where I guess the only question I'll ask you, Frances, yep, I know I did okay. So the one question <laughs> I have for you is my initial reaction to why would they brace the Segunda Division Bay into two tiers? I'm just thinking they want to spread out the professionalism a bit more as well. And even yeah. though it's not technically professional, only the, the top two divisions in Spain are professional. I think the, the idea is to have a, a lot of solid, more historic clubs in both the third and the fourth division. So I think they just want to improve the levels and by breaking up the groups in the Segunda Division Bay, you're, I mean, yes, it's a bit more travel. And I think the problem is going to be it's going to be more costly travel for a lot of those smaller clubs. I think that's going to be the one hurdle and the one problem moving forward. Yes, um, I think we've got a slight problem here is that I haven't understood a word you've said over the <laughs> last three minutes. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> Terrific. And I, unfortunately, I think that most people watching or listening, they yeah. wouldn't have understood anything either. Yeah. Um, so I think a, a YouTube video with visuals would be yeah. good. And I did, I did follow, I did follow because my brother obviously played in that in those categories for right. for many many years. So yeah, I think that this is just as you mentioned, this is just a dri uh, drive from the Federación Española de Fútbol, the RFEF. Did you see their new logo? Did you like their new logo? It's awful. Two thumbs way down. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can do that on PowerPoint with my eyes closed. <laughs> I'm having, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, awful, awful, awful. Thing is, someone has got paid really good money to make that. I know. A team. It wasn't, we're not blaming an individual. It's probably a marketing team that did so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're like, no, come on. You're not going to definitely give them that, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just give them that, see what they say. And then they say, yeah, they accept it. So anyway, <laughs> awful. So going back to the Primera División Real Federación Española de Fútbol, um, I think that they are doing what you said. I think that they are trying to make it more competitive because obviously in the four different groups, let's face it, the, 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 the bottom 10, really, they're not up to the standard uh, that is required for a team to be able to compete at the highest level the next year if they achieve promotion to Segunda División A. But if the best teams out of the four groups of Segunda B are in the same category, then that, that will be very competitive. You will have teams with quite a lot of money in there. Um, obviously, all the B teams, I guess. So we are Real B, Madrid B, Zaragoza B, Mallorca B, Barça B may, may be playing on that one. And, you know, you could make a whole podcast on those. Because, um, you know, when I was living in England, which I lived there for 16 years, they didn't have that. The Liga right. de Filiales, they have a, like a B team league where all the all the feeder clubs it's, it's a u23 it's a, it's a u23 team that's uh, uh u23 league that's technically not professional exactly that's a big difference exactly, yeah. exactly so that's not really competitive enough and then the jump to the first team is huge which is why i think the system in spain works better yeah but if a team like say racing santander zaragoza 
even Sporting, Recreativo de Huelva, and you know they're in the first division now. But someone like I don't know um, Levante, eventually Girona, Sabadell, Huesca. Those teams, yeah, Huesca. Those teams have a lot of money, and they have a, a huge fan base behind them. Like a team like Murcia has got so many followers, yeah. and, and the stadium is huge as well. So if you've got a category and the Segunda División are where the best teams are, then I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm no genius here, but I'm assuming that it would be a more attractive product to sell to the television, and the television rights, I'm assuming, yep. will go up. And that would be a great source of income for these teams. Obviously, by doing so, you will be widening the gap between the teams at the top of Segunda División B and the teams at the bottom, but already that, that difference exists. And also, if they're playing each other throughout the whole year, that's much more exciting than having, with all due respect, Olot play in Sabadell. Uh, if you play Sabadell against Recreativo de Huelva, that's a considerable team. If you have, I don't know, um, Real Oviedo playing someone like Murcia, well, that's that's a huge team for both of those cities, a yep. uh, huge matchup for both of those cities. So I think it's a, it's a good move. And if Barca play their next season and not Segunda División A, at least there won't be that much of a drop-off uh, so that players can promote. So for us, as, as Barca fans, as Barca followers, it's a win-win. Yeah, yep, I agree. Yeah, I love that point about the about the about selling the broadcasting rights potentially of the, the new third division, the Primera Division, because that is going to help pay for travel and some of the, 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 the yeah. difficulties, I said, for some of the smaller third division clubs, yeah. It would be good if they gave them proper names, though, wouldn't it? Why is the third division called Primera División? It makes no sense. Primera, segunda, tercera, cuarta, quinta. Done. Easier. There you go. For yeah. free. And I'm not going to charge you for the idea like those people charge you for the logo. All right. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think that'll wrap it up for another edition of the show. I, I, I want to give a last call as well. So you can please fill out that survey down in the show notes. I know not many people stick to the end, but we are doing that survey for a second week. Then we're going to look at it. I don't, we haven't got any calls for new logos yet, Frances. So we're doing well on that survey on that. Um, but I do yeah, want to look we, at... We change um, our logo every year. Yeah. Uh, we, we, next year it will be a little bit more colorful, a little bit changed. But, you know, it's not going to be a circle with some aerial font inside it. Yeah. Right, right. But I do want to mention about the survey that if, if you listen to the end of this podcast, meaning you really care about this podcast because you're here at the end and you potentially want merchandise, I don't know if we're going to do it, but I will say that there's a question on the survey and I need to see some kind of response um, if we're going to consider that. So please, if you'd like merchandise, please fill out that survey. You know, you can find it on Twitter, uh, Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. We have links there. You can join us on our closed Facebook group. You can find the, the survey in there. The Barcelona Podcast, that's where we get these listener questions from. And then Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciated. Um, plus, I did a Femini uh, Champions League recap. So, unfortunately, yep. there are not enough photos of the Femini to really commit to a YouTube video. So, I did do a audio recap from last Wednesday against Man City. So, I do want to give a shout-out. I know we're almost at the hour mark, but... I mean, Barca Femini, dominant against Man City, and they're going to finish the job. I'm hoping they finish the job this Wednesday. So we'll definitely talk about the Femini, I promise, next week. That'll be something we talk about, whether they go through or they don't, because it's going to be something to talk about. So we'll talk about that next week. You can also listen to these shows without the ads over there um, at Patreon, so it's a little incentive to support the show as well. And we're on YouTube with the match reviews at the Barcelona Podcast, of course, and some extra stuff there too. So um, most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and Force the Barca. Forza!
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.